Welcome to the WAG Podcast. Eric Gaynor along with Jess Radford. Uh, Kendra Sheehan on assignment this week as it's Thanksgiving week. I mean, it's, it's here. It's it's gobble gobble time. It's uh, turkey time. Uh, uh, not going. We're going to be going to the Dallas Cowboys game. Not together. I'm going with with my wife. You're going with one of your good friends. Uh, but uh, since we live here in in Arlington area, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, of course, play every Thanksgiving. You're from Detroit. Detroit yes. Lions always play on Thanksgiving too. So that's got to be do. an exciting day for you. Um, I actually never been to a Detroit Lions game on Thanksgiving, which is crazy. <laughs> now that I think about it, and honestly, since they've been losing, I don't think I've ever like watched even been interested. <laughs> and now so, the Detroit Lions are one of the best teams in the league. I don't think they've been eight and two since JFK was president. I saw that. <laughs> uh, that yeah, you bring up uh, JFK. The 60th anniversary of his uh, assassination is uh, Wednesday. Which happened in Dallas. So I yeah. saw a lot. There's like documentaries, all these kind of things coming out about it. So, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, right around this time. So let's move on to happier things, uh, Jess. Hi. We just got back from the WAC volleyball tournament that was played in Orem, Utah. Uh, the champions, Grand Canyon. But let's go back uh, to the tournament. There was a lot of exciting action happening uh, starting in the first round. Grand Canyon actually was our very first match. And they dispatched California Baptist 3-0. And they, uh, that that was a very, I th think that only took about an hour, didn't it? Yeah, I think that was our shortest game of the tournament, actually. <laughs> it was either that one or the second sweep that Greg King had the next day. But I think that one was the shortest match that we had against California Baptist. GCU just looked like a completely different team this weekend, I feel like. They were so locked in. They were so in sync with each other. Um, Just even in practice, it was just all just light. It was good vibes, but it was still just, very locked in and they were very attentive to the goal at hand which is to get this whack tournament title their very first one um so they were just locked in the whole entire tournament you could just see it it was just a different team than what you've seen all season in my opinion i've watched games many of their games on espn plus before um but it was just different this time and i think maybe it was just different seeing them in person for the first time personally for me this is my first year in the whack um but totally different team fun to watch especially sweeps like that um it's hard to make sweeps interesting, but GCU definitely made it interesting. <laughs> Our second match wound up being a five-setter UTRGV against Tarleton State. This was the Texans' first time in the WAC volleyball tournament. I know you, you were very impressed by by them. Of course, UTRGV coming out on top three to two, so they advanced to the semifinals. And Todd Lowry always uh, has a good team. This was we had the same Final Four as the year before, but mm -hmm. Tarleton was very impressive in their first appearance in the WAC tournament. So impressive. They were not going down without a fight. They were down 0-2, and they took it to five sets. They were not leaving that with a sweep. Um, and I think it was just a testament to them and the program that Mary built this season. They weren't doing the best starting off in conference, but the last um, second half of the conference play, they were just on a high note, on a hot streak, and just, you know, not demolishing teams, but, you know, taking them to four, taking them to five, and winning these games. So, Tarleton has been a really good team, a, a team to definitely watch. Not an underdog team at all because they can fight, they can win, and you can definitely see that on that Thursday match against UTRGV when they came back 0-2 uh, to take it to five. And honestly, I think they 
it was like 15, 13 UTRGV one in the fifth set. So it was definitely it was a, it was a close. close. Match, yeah. It was a close match. It wasn't a blowout in the fifth set at all. Um, so I think they just proved that, you know, don't, don't underestimate us for sure. Yeah. 15, 13 was in fact the, uh, the, the score in the fifth set and uh, Mary Schindler, the head coach, she's been there 19 years. So she was there division two had them as, as one of the top uh, programs in division two. And now, they will uh, they will not be restricted next year as this was the fourth year of the transition. They could qualify for the NCAA, so they look to be definitely a, a program on the rise as we move forward here in the WAC. Our, our third matchup of the day was Stephen F. Austin and Abilene Christian, and this was a one versus eight. SFA was on a 16-match win streak. Abilene Christian had just been defeated on Monday, uh, wound up getting the eight seed had an injury to one of their top players who, who was out and just seemed like that was going to be one that the SFA was going to be able to cruise. But Abilene Christian put up a pretty good fight in that one. No, for sure. Second set, they won it, you know, uh, like you said, um, I think every time when it's a one and eight seed, you think that, you know, it's going to be an easy game. But of course, Abilene Christian is just like, honestly, Tarleton to me, a team that will fight, a team will not break, you know, break down or, you know, get nervous or, you know, just, blow a game. Um, they were led by middle blocker Brianna Box. Oh, that girl. I like watching her in person. Just a middle blocker getting all these kills because, you know, it's usually your outside of your right side that's leading the team. But to have a middle blocker leading your team in blocks and in kills, it was just really fun to watch personally for me. Um, and, yeah, that was another team that just was fighting to stay in this tournament, you know, to get to the championship round, too. But as, as we all know, SFA is just a really well-poised, put-together team, and they ended up winning that one three to one. Yeah, and WAC Player of the Year, Elon Bradley had 17 kills and 21 points in that matchup. We go to the semis on, on Friday. Grand Canyon just continued to roll, Jess, as they dispatched UTRGB. ED, you can't forget about UTA and Utah oh, Valley. Yes, oh, you no, did. did. <laughs> Utah Valley versus UT Arlington. That was the, that was the match of the day. Five-setter. Uh, big crowd at Enorm, yes. Utah. And Utah Valley, Samatoa, he he has this magic. How many years in a row? Was it nine years in a row they've been in the semi? 11th, 11th. No, 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 nine. It's their 11th straight uh, WAC tournament appearance. Yeah. I think it's their ninth straight year in the semifinal rounds. I don't know how he does it. It's just like, wow, that's actually really amazing. And then they've been in the tournament ever since they got into the WAC in 2013. I still, that stat line just blows my mind because amazing amazing accomplishment by him and just what he's been doing with the program just to be consistent like that for 11 years it's yeah. insane <laughs> and especially they, their uh, non-conference they, they did not have the record they wanted uh, they, they finished the season with an overall record of 12 and 17 mm -hmm. which I don't think reflects how good that team was this year no, and I just think that you have to definitely watch them play, and I think watch them play in person to understand the level of competition that they do play. And you can definitely tell after this week that they probably should have won some of those non-conference games that they lost, and their overall record definitely doesn't reflect that because this is another fighting team within the WAC. I think all of our WAC teams just be fighting nail and tooth to get to you know where they want to be, but. Utah Valley definitely, um, actually UTA, UT Arlington definitely took it to five sets because Utah Valley was up 
0-2. I really thought that was going to be a three-set match. Utah Valley looked so good the first two sets. They didn't even let UT Arlington get to 20 points, I think, in the first and second set. And I was just like, wow. I wasn't expecting I really thought it was supposed to be a four- to five-set match to begin with. But the way Utah Valley just came out and was just dominating the game against UT Arlington, and they were holding their best players, Brianna Ford, Paige Rigger, to low hitting percentages. And then next thing you know, UTA kicked it up a notch and took it to five sets. And that was actually a really, really exciting game to watch. The last game, five-setter, you're on your home court with your home crowd, you know. So they definitely had that support behind them. And I think that's ultimately what made them get the edge in the fifth set as well. Yeah, it did get pretty loud in there at the uh, Lockhart arena at utah valley brianna ford as you mentioned uh in those two sets at uta were able to come back and win those were 25 22 both of those she winds up with 20 kills 12 digs so so certainly showing why she was one of the top players in the WAC this year but uta it was the same matchup they had the year before and again mm-hmm. utah valley seems to have that that whack tournament magic so they were able to advance to the semis as i uh did, tried to jump ahead about <laughs> that but, Grand Canyon UTRGV in the semis. Grand Canyon just continued to roll 3-0. And that was that was probably uh uh an indicator of of how good GCU was playing because UTRGV a very good team and yes. they just uh, you know swept them, which which was a surprise. Yes, no, for sure. But I also think it was because UTRGV just had multiple people with injuries. I think they were True. crippled with injuries. I think if they were fully 100 percent healthy I think it would have went to a four or five match like it has been during the conference um regular season because I think the first time GCU and UTRGV played they were fighting for that second seed or second spot in the WAC tournament standings and it went to five sets UTRGV I know I think GCU ended up winning but still a five set match um Nadine Zek their freshman outside or right side hitter I can't really remember but she got hurt in the quarterfinal round so she was out so she wasn't able to play so they were down an outside hitter because Claudia Lupetsky is their um, number one outside hitter so then they were down their second outside hitter Um, and they brought a couple freshmen in but they just weren't getting the flow they weren't you know scoring the points that UTRGV needed and I think that ultimately was their demise in this set but like I said Grand Canyon just looked like a totally different team they were just so locked in they were so just intent on winning these games and the simple fact that they were the only team to sweep two teams yeah. <laughs> so in this whole entire tournament run um so that's good for them tatum parrott uh, had 15 kills 11 digs again in a three-set match claire mitchell had 30 uh, 32 assists 10 digs also in a three-set match and those two in particular uh really played well the entire tournament the other semifinal match uh winds up being utah valley uh, taking on Stephen F. Austin and the Lady Jacks come out on top. And that one, again, is three to one, but it, it felt like it was closer than that. Oh, my gosh. An absolute nail biter in the fourth set. I was, I had so much anxiety in that fourth set. What was it? 30 to 28. 30 to 28. Uh, SFA, yep. SFA won in the fourth set. So, you know, in those tight games like that, it's just going back and forth, back and forth, especially if you're getting the 30 points, it's going back and forth for a while. Because um, you have to win by two in volleyball, obviously by the score. But it just seemed like it was the longest match of the tournament. Like, it was just everybody was on their toes. They were just locked into the game because nobody knew what the outcome was of this game. 
Um, I'm actually was kind of sad. I was talking to you before we started recording that. I feel like Utah Valley could have took SFA to five sets. Um, and I think it was just sad how like it ended because they were out of rotation. They had the wrong server, but I think it was due to in part that they had a challenge the rotation before. And I think it just threw things off for them. Um, so after they had the auto rotation call, of course, SFA won the next point and they won the match. Um, so it was a little sad that that's how it ended. Um, I really think that if they would have had the right server, they could have potentially took it to five because I think they had all the momentum on them on their side. I think it was a bunch of challenge calls. And I swear Utah Valley will always win the, the challenges <laughs> for some reason. Um, but yeah, so that one's the... I think we just had really good games this tournament. I don't know if you usually guys have these type of games in past tournament, but I think it's me. I'm a good luck charm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a very exciting tournament. SFA, so as I mentioned, they they won the regular season title. They were 16-0 in the WAC, ran the table, 27-3 uh, and overall with three losses only coming with the Baylor, uh, Arizona State, and then uh, I think it was South Alabama was the other match that they lost. They had wins over Ole Miss and some other you know, high quality program. So a very good uh, team. They had not even been pushed to five sets uh, in the WAC this year. They actually hadn't played a five set match since uh, early September when they beat Boise State. So mm -hmm. that shows you how good SFA has been just all year long, so consistent. And so they advanced to the championship against Grand Canyon. Uh, so the one and two seed went when it was all said and done. And Grand Canyon kept uh, Uncle Mo, as they say, momentum on their side. Uncle Mo, for sure. Tatum period, 30 kills on a .303 hitting percentage. She was absolutely amazing for the Lopes, just this whole entire tournament, hitting in double digits, hitting high hitting percentages just for the whole. I wouldn't even be surprised if she hit over 400 just with all three uh, matches combined that she played this weekend. But her and Claire Mitchell just are so like we're just so in sync I feel like you know Claire could just put up anything and Tatum Parrott was putting the ball down I think what also helped them was that they shut Elon Bradley down they shut their outsides down Elon Bradley had probably one of the lowest hitting percentages that I've seen from her all season um I think she had below a 0.100 hitting percentage so she was uh, so 057 yep so I think that's also what helped them too if you shut down the other team's best hitter you your chances of winning is like times 10 at that point um Eli yeah, their, Riley, their team uh, hitting percentage was 122 whereas uh gcus was 180 yes i don't think their hitting percentages really reflected what was happening i think it was very low hitting percentage for both teams honestly when i saw at the end i was like wow gcu didn't even hit over 200 which i was surprised but i mean blocking like I think SFA yeah. probably had 13 team blocks. GCU had 12. They were neck and neck. They were just blocking the crap out of each other. And I think that's what you need when you have good hitters. When you have a Tatum period on GCU, when you have an Elon Bradley on SFA, your blockers need to be on point. Because if you can't get a touch and you can't get a block, your, your back row is just getting just hit, just getting dominated. You don't have a really strong backcourt to put up, to you know, to get those digs or those hard swings that, Tatum and Elon put down, then you can't even side out. You can't even get a point. So great, tremendous. I just think defensive effort from both teams. But, of course, GCU just had the better team. I think they just looked better. SFA kind of looked out of sync. Um, didn't look like on the same page like I've seen them all season. But GCU, man, like I, I keep saying it, it was just so good to watch them. And it was – Well, one of the I, things – 
So, so just one of the things with SSU <clears throat> was the fact that they they were on the road. Um, so they finished with a road trip at GCU at CBU. So they decided to to just go straight up to Utah Valley from there. So they were they're on the road a good 10, 12 days. Yeah. Uh, not saying that that's necessarily an excuse, but uh, as we know <laughs> when we were at the <laughs> soccer, when you're away from home uh, that long, I mean it is uh, it is tough to live out of a, a suitcase in a hotel for you know two weeks. No, for sure. And I think it's just hard to adjust too, because I think it's time zones. When you go to California, you're two hours behind. When you go to GCU, which you're an hour behind, and now you're still an hour behind in Utah. So I think that also has an effect too, because that messes with your sleep, that messes with your your overall body's timing, you know, schedule that is used to when you're in Texas. Like, yes, they've been traveling all year and they've probably been in different time zones all year. But when you're on that long of a traveling street 12 days and then you're still switching time zones can be hard like physically um so I think that was definitely a factor of why they probably looked out of sync why they probably looked tired you know probably not as awake or as you know don't dialed in as they would usually be if they get a full night's sleep or you know if they would have had to been able to go home and get that one or two days just to sleep in your own bed I think it's also important to uh, when you get down to like routines of you know, what you do at home and what you do on the road is probably two totally different things. Um, so that was probably definitely a big factor in just how they looked overall in this tournament as well. Tatum Parrott, as you mentioned, 30 kills, 19 digs in that championship, a four-set match, by the way. So to get 30 kills in a four-set match, pretty impressive. Claire Mitchell, 49 assists, 25 digs. And then not Career to high. Be, not to Career be out there, Ashley Lifgren, she also had a double-double, 13 kills, 13 digs. So just outstanding performances across the board for GCU. Claire Mitchell named tournament most outstanding player, of course, Tatum Parrott on the team, along with Ashley Lifgren. So they will be headed to the NCAA tournament. And that selection show will be Sunday, correct? On, uh, yes, on Sunday. ESPN. I've seen, ESPNU. I've seen conflicting reports. I've seen ESPN and ESPNU. So. Well, I've seen ESPNU on the NCAA website, so I'm going to just go with that one. All right. Well, Personally. You- I would not be surprised if it's on both. If it does get yeah. on big ESPN, they'll probably put it on you as well. But anyway, it's uh, exciting. Time it's going to be televised. And uh, what also might be exciting is if we have a camera over in Nacogdoches, Texas, because uh, they were the 38-ranked uh, team going into the tournament. Now they're 37. They actually went up, even though they had the loss to GCU. Yeah, so I think it was a surprise in our office as well, because we were really worried coming back from Utah to Texas. We were like, oh, like... SFA was 38. We we thought 38 was really good, but we thought they were going to go down to 40, you know, like mid 40. So we were really kind of nervous because we really didn't know, you know, we want them to get an at-large bid, of course. But of course, with the RPI, we was just a little nervous about how that was going to go since they did just lose in the tournament. Come to find out, they go up a spot, which is so amazing. Um, so me and Tony Jones, actually, who's about to be in the next segment, um, we're talking yesterday and we've just been trying to get, you know, facts with their whole entire season of, you know, to push them up, you know, bump them up a little bit of why they should get an at-large bid. I think they've had too good of a season to not get an at-large bid, to end 28-4, and four, to be one of the highest winning percentage teams in the nation and you know I think it's just they had a what 11 to 2 road win um record and that's better than Nebraska that's better than some of these higher ranked teams um so I think we've made a pretty good case of why they should have an at-large bid um and we'll just see Sunday I'm praying because they do definitely deserve it 
I just, I hope so. So the WAC has not had two bids to the NCAA volleyball tournament since 2008. Uh, oh. That was Hawaii and New Mexico State both received bids to the NCAA tournament that year. And uh, Hawaii actually advanced to the uh, Sweet 16 round, actually the Elite Eight round, I believe, uh, that year. Uh, they were always a, a national powerhouse when they were in the WAC. So could be uh, exciting times if we were able to get two bids in to the uh, NCAA volleyball tournament. Let's take a quick break, then we'll come back and talk about uh, basketball and cross country on the WAC podcast. Welcome back to the WAC podcast. Eric Danner, Jess Radford, women's basketball ticket smarter players of the week, California Baptist Chloe Webb and UTRGB's Cade Hackerot or the ticket smarter players of the week, Chloe Webb, the player and Hackerot, the newcomer. Uh, CBU just off to a great start. They are 4-0 to begin the season. Yes, the only team in the WAC left to be undefeated. So we shall see, especially in the next week to come, what, you know, what they'll be, how they'll play. Um, I'm actually very excited. I'm not sure if CBU usually starts off as undefeated like this. I'm, I'm really curious to know, like, what, what's their best, you know, starting you off? You know, right two now? years ago, when they were still uh, in the transition, they they ran the table. Uh, that was that kind of funky year right after COVID, and mm. but they were they had an excellent team. They they ran the table on the WAC. Um, I believe they were undefeated overall as well that year, and they were unable to go to the NCAA tournament. They won the WAC tournament, and then they were able to go to the WNIT, and then made it a couple rounds in the WNIT. So that uh, program that Jared Olson has put together is is uh, excellent. You know, of course, they lost Trinity San Antonio. She transferred okay. to GCU, but they have not missed a beat at all. And with Chloe Webb getting our uh, Ticket Smarter Player of the Week, uh, of course, uh, uh, one of my favorite stories with her, her uncle is Terrell Davis, the Denver Bronco Pro Football Hall of Famer, was a Super Bowl MVP, rushed for 2,000 yards one season. He, uh, he's, he was the uh, league MVP as well that year. So, of course, uh, being... From uh, Colorado, uh, Terrell Davis, so uh, very well thought of there, and he was at our tournament last year. Was, it was because I, I didn't know I, did, I hadn't done a deep enough dive to know that he was Chloe mm. Whipple, but everybody was like, "Hey, did you see Terrell Davis? He checked in. He was checking in at the Orleans today, and like, well, what's he doing at the Orleans? You know, during our <laughs> tournament, then he's at the game, and then uh, sure enough, uh, it was you know his his uh, niece is playing in the game, so. That uh, is so funny. Well, Terrell Davis, if CBU is in this tournament next year, I should see you. I, you should be there front <laughs> row. Um, well, the way they're starting close. off, yeah, that that oh. should be a given. But they, yeah, the four wins, UC San Diego, they won at San Diego State. Uh, they also won at home this past week against Long Beach State and UTEP. Uh, they have Portland coming up. And then we have next week. So we, we have Thanksgiving is always kind of a funky week in terms of schedule because you know, teams don't want to play on Thanksgiving, but then you have some teams that are going, like on the men's side, you Stephen F. Austin's at, in the Cayman Islands. And, you know, you see some of these MTEs, as they're called, these, uh, I forget what the MTE stands for, but it's uh, basically like the old tournament is when it's not really a tournament. It's maybe it is, I don't know. But anyway. Um, but yeah, Chloe Webb had a dominating weekend against Long Beach State and UTEP. So she averaged 26.5 points, eight rebounds, three steals, 
her game this week. Um, she actually had, I think, a, oh, a career high, 29 points against Long Beach State. And I think it's so funny because Long Beach State and UTEP were both 3-0 and before they came into Riverside. And, of course, California Baptist was also undefeated and, beat, boom, beat both of these teams. Um, when she went against UTEP, she was scoreless in the first half, but then she stepped it up and had 23 of her 24 points in the second half. Um, and in overtime. So I think that was a tremendous job by her just stepping up for her teammates because they obviously really did need her. And she stepped up when they needed her. And boom, they won against UTEP in overtime. So, you know, to remain undefeated. So California Baptist is definitely probably a team to watch this season. So they uh, host Portland on Wednesday uh, coming up. And you mentioned they're the only undefeated team uh, right now. Abilene Christian 2-1, and one, Grand Canyon, Utah Tech at 2-2. Two and two, And then everybody else is under 500. But that sometimes happens, you know, in these when you start with non-conference play, it depends mm-hmm. on the level of competition that you're you're gonna have. But I was gonna say next week is actually our first week of conference play, which is a little different because uh usually we don't start until after uh January first. Mm-hmm. Kind of the way the schedule fell this year, it was either having it, you know, they they decided to move it to the, this particular week or having it, you know, kind of in that Christmas. New Year's when there's nobody on campus. Uh, so so I think a really smart move by our administration, you know, Brian Thornton, Drew Spira, and, and all the people who, you know, approved the schedules, that they moved the, that first week to this right after Thanksgiving when students are still going to be there, when there's still a lot of excitement uh, on campus for some mm-hmm. of them. Oh, no, for sure. And I think it's just, I think the atmosphere that our teams or in our schools that they have at their games are actually probably insane. We all know GCU and the Havocs. That gym is probably one of the hardest gym in the country to play in. Um, but I think CBU has a good atmosphere. Um, they just has created a culture around their basketball teams and this, they're, you know, creating a good environment for their teams to win in. Um, I think our WAC schools are very focused and have dialed in on that and trying to really build up that. So I think, that's probably one of my favorite parts about our basketball teams is their um, fan engagement. I think it's really good. I don't really see many teams like that, of course, when you have the bigger schools. But um, just to see our conference like that have that engagement is actually really good to see. And I love it, actually. We also had the NCAA cross-country championships this past week in Virginia. California Baptist, again, doing doing well. They had two teams qualify, their men's and their women's. Their men's team finishes 16th overall. The women's team Finishes 17th overall. Greta Karanuskite becomes an All-American in cross-country, finishing in 17th place overall. And CBU, ever since they came in the league, I mean, uh, they have been dominant even when, you know, right right from the get-go in cross-country. And so shout out to the, the Lancers on two top 20 finishes uh, this year at the NCAA championships. What is it? Lance up. I'm going to do both because I'm not sure which hand to do it with. But <laughs> <laughs> And then Utah Valley also qualified as a team. They finished 23rd in the country. So very, very good performances from WAC schools uh, because this uh, this has not always been the case uh, in the last, uh, you know, 10, 15 years. So, so those uh, schools doing very well in sport across country. And then the, uh, well, we have indoor track starting up, uh, I think, uh, right away, too, as well. So now that uh got the sweatshirt on, you know, it's a little little chilly out. don't know if you went outside today or not, but uh, got that, 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 that kind of fall, you know, uh, winter is coming kind of uh, feel in the air today. 
Does it look fall outside? Is the trees changing colors? I haven't even opened up. You know, when we were in Utah Valley, they were changing colors. That's for sure. Oh, and speaking of Utah Valley, I just want to give a big shout out to Utah Valley staff. I think that was probably one of the best staff I've worked with personally. They were just so, oh my God, they just wanted to help in any capacity. They had a really good student, um, you know, participation. I think just with their marketing and just their overall facilities, they were just so nice. I think they actually made that a very smooth transition. They very they helped out a lot. So Utah Valley staff. And then yeah, now that we're done with the WAC fall championships, yeah, I had a chance to go to three of them. I think I was the only person in the office. So I'm uh, I'm on top of the leaderboard in the oh my gosh number of championships in the fall because I did go to cross country and then <laughs> women's soccer and volleyball. But uh, all three, Abilene Christian, California Baptist, Utah Valley, all put on uh, fantastic uh, uh, championships. So again, shout out to those crews. But yeah, uh, in particular, uh, Jeff, uh, Ellen, Ellen Grin, Ellen Grin, something like that. Yeah. Jeff, uh, shout out to him. He, he was my personal uh, escort around town uh, on Saturday. We're going to be debuting a, a thing we call Commission on Campus here in the in the next month, and had a chance to uh, visit with uh, some of their student athletes, Nick Clements, uh, a track and field athlete, and uh, Nikki Olanda, an outstanding soccer player, uh, Brian Thornton. So we're, we're really excited about this project, but. Uh, had to have some uh, some assistance getting getting around campus, getting around town, and, and turned out that, you know, unbeknownst to us uh, before we got there, that uh, BYU and Oklahoma uh, were playing football that day. Of course, Utah Valley and uh, and uh, BYU are only three miles apart from each other. So when you say there's a football game going on at BYU, it's basically going on in Orem too, because uh, the, the, a lot of Oklahoma fans. I was, I mean, there were some on my flight. I know there were some on your flight. And they they travel, and I, I guess they're going to the SEC next year. So this was the only time they're going to go to to BYU. So maybe they wanted to check out, you know, uh, Provo and, and Orem. Um, yeah, I think so too. I I would. Um, I heard you guys were getting a lot of dirty looks that you guys had two big cameras in the smack <laughs> in the middle of this pancake or a breakfast place, and you guys were getting some bombastic side eyes because you were ruining <laughs> people's <laughs> breakfast. I don't think we ruined anybody's breakfast, but yeah, we we definitely did take up some space there. So, shout out to. I mean, when you see a tall man like Brian walking in, you're like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> what are these people doing with cameras? I'm just trying to eat some pancakes, but um, no. Shout out to True Religion and uh, Utah Valley has as a very good uh, culinary program on campus, and the the head chef also is the the head chef at, at True Religion, which is where we had that um, that uh, fantastic breakfast there. So. It's uh and and we had a chance to see that just a beautiful setting that Utah Valley is. Kind of the weather got progressively worse as we were there, uh, to the point where it was uh, starting to kind of rain and I was, I was supposed to snow, uh, before we took off. So, uh, yeah, very very good, uh, very good experience there at Utah Valley. And shout out to Sam Matoa, uh, the volleyball coach there as well for hooking us up, uh, with yes. some, some gear as well. So some merch. Uh, <laughs> when we come back, we're going to have Tony Jones on next to talk some whack men's hoops. You're listening to the Whack Podcast. Welcome back to the Whack Podcast. Eric Danner now joined by Tony Jones, our Assistant Commissioner of Communications and oversees our men's basketball media relations. Tony, uh, we're a couple weeks in to men's hoop season and it's Thanksgiving week, which is always uh, kind of funky, I guess, for lack of a better term, because we see teams... Uh, we like Stephen F. Austin is over in the Cayman Islands. 
Uh, you see some teams trying to play some some home games. And and what kind of adds to it maybe this year is they play these games, but then at the same time, they got to keep an eye towards next week when WAC play begins. That's going to be the strangest thing is having November conference games into December as well. That's an extremely early start to the year, and that's kind of a function of, you know, adding – those extra games into the conference schedule this year with some of the changes in membership over the past, you know, calendar year, you got to put those games somewhere and you're not going to play your tournament later because everything is kind of reliant on finishing at a certain time for NCAA selections. So, you know, that, that means an extra couple of weeks earlier on in the season. So that will possibly be the, the stranger part of the whole deal. But you know, as you said, Eric, this week is, is usually one of the busier weeks in the basketball calendar both, you know, on campuses and, and with teams hosting games, but also getting to some locales, Cayman Islands, Florida, California, you know, Texas, anywhere that's kind of a destination from your campus. That's really what, what goes on this week. And, you know, back to my, my own time on campus, the first time I ever sort of missed Thanksgiving dinner was my first year in communications, a 12-hour bus ride to Lubbock, Texas for a women's basketball Thanksgiving tournament at Texas Tech back in uh, 2011. So yeah, I know very well the the Thanksgiving travel and, and kind of what some of these teams are up against. But again, if, if you're the coaching staffs of these programs, it's a good way to kind of keep everybody together. There's not enough time, unfortunately, for the basketball student athletes to go home on break. But get some quality games and, you know, potentially see, see some more great, as you mentioned, like Stephen F is and on their way toward hopefully winning a tournament championship as well. Yeah. And I, I mentioned this in the, the previous segment, Tony, that uh real uh, innovative uh, approach by our, our administration, you know, Brian Thornton, Drew Spira, all, all of our, you know, people who, who approve the schedules to put those games next week, this at this point in the season, because you don't want to have it, you know, that kind of try to shoehorn it in maybe in that Christmas, you know, New Year's time slot in, or maybe trying to play some Mondays or Tuesdays, those kind of things. So have, setting aside this week early in the year when students are still on campus as well, because that's the other thing you kind of run into right after uh, January 1st is students aren't back yet sometimes. So here it is. Everybody's still, you know, they're excited. Uh, we're seeing football kind of wrapping up. We saw the FCS, you know, their regular seasons wrapped up. So now people kind of maybe on some of those campuses turn their focus maybe more to basketball. And so there's a lot to be excited about. And and everybody's still new enough in the year that they have a lot of hope. Still a, a bit of a taste, I guess we'll call it, of conference yes. play. Of you, you sort of dip your toe in if, if you're those teams playing those first couple games. And it, it's probably going to be strange for the coaches. I, I can't honestly think of at least recently any other scenario with, with conference where you'd have a, a week or two sort of leading in, as you said, before the Christmas break to then come back after New Year's as you normally would into your conference play. So it's a bit of an adjustment, I'm going to assume, on the coaching staff's point of view of, all right, you've got to kind of jump into your conference scheduling or excuse me, your conference scouting and, and look ahead to some of those early conference matchups. And then, as you said, some of our teams are are back to some tournaments and things around the holidays, or some even have that extended break from around the 21st or so to toward the end of the month. So it gets really scattered there as you get toward the start of the new year when conference play usually kicks in. But 
Uh, again, I think, as you said, a great job by the administration and, and everyone involved in scheduling to do it in a fair way to where, like you said, you can open conference play officially in front of some students and in front of some crowds on campus and not totally butting up against holidays or break or anything like that, but also to to be able to come back kind of full bore with the, the meat of the conference schedule and still be able to have that bit of a time to to turn around before the tournament where you're not kind of finishing on a Monday and starting your tournament on a Wednesday type of thing, you're, you're able to give teams adequate rest at the end of the regular season to get into the tournament in Vegas. And you also saw the Conference USA uh, scheduling alignment. We've had some of those matchups early, early in the year as well. So teams uh, get, getting tested right away. Of course, you know, depending on the schedule, some, some schools have played power five opponents already. We, we saw uh, some big wins uh, in that Conference USA uh, scheduling agreement. And, you know, starting off the year, uh, Grand Canyon, who, who's picked to win the league, they they are three and one. They played South Carolina in a, in a tough game in the uh, Desert Diamond Arena. Uh, they beat San Francisco. Uh, they had some big wins over uh, Northern Arizona, Southeast Missouri State. And they have our uh, our newcomer of the week, tie-in Grant Foster, TGF, as he's called. Uh, an amazing story there, Tony, in that Started out at Kansas, went to DePaul, had a health issue, hadn't played for a couple of years, and and now is at GCU and is is you know one of the top players, if not the top player so far early in the year for the Lopes. Looks like he really hasn't missed a beat either, which is again to to add an element like that to a GCU team that did see some departures, did see some some guys exhaust eligibility at the end of the championship season. And and even some of the younger players maybe head to other situations that, you know, were a, a little more aligned with, I know in some cases, family ties and things like that. So, you know, for coach drew to reload with someone like a tying grant foster is just an unbelievable signing for GCU. And that's paid dividends thus far. You know, you kind of alluded to it. He's the leading scorer in the conference about 21 Point two or so through four games per game. As you said, for a guy who hasn't played a whole lot of basketball these last few years, and they're not doing it against, you know, tomato cans, shall we say, on their schedule. They really stepped out early in their scheduling and have played a good schedule to get to that three and one mark. 74 in the latest Ken Palm rankings coming into today, which actually puts them second behind Stephen F. And we can touch on them here in a little bit, but they're they're kind of shooting their way up here with their success in the Cayman Islands and, and elsewhere in their non-conference. But GCU's, I think, exactly where they want to be. They're they're off to a good start. And even the game that they they lost was still a well-played game by them. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a blowout or a runaway or anything like that. So I think they're exactly where they want to be. They've got enough of those games on the non-conference schedule. Still a few more opportunities on national television as well, which is Great for their brand, great for the conference, and certainly looking forward to seeing what they can do as we kind of ramp up to the conference schedule. Yeah, Stephen F. Austin, you, you mentioned them, Tony. They're uh, down at the the Cayman Islands. They're four and one right now. A couple of big wins down in Georgetown, uh, Grand Cayman, uh, beating Loyola Marymount by ten. Then they beat Drake ninety-two to sixty-eight. And as we record this on Tuesday, they're going to be playing Utah State. Uh, 7.30 Eastern time, Utah State, a team that played Southern Utah already, so they played a couple of whack opponents. Southern Utah was was beating them pretty good before uh, Utah State was able to come back in that one, so it'll be interesting to see if SFA can come away with that uh, championship in the Cayman Islands. Yeah, that's another top 100 game for SFA, so again, that's a 4-1 and record 
with quality games and Utah state game will be no different. Uh, prior to that game, Stephen F was 67th in the latest Ken Palm. So again, working in the right direction, same with GCU. I, I'm sure both teams would like to be higher and are hoping, you know, as we get to February, March to certainly be higher to, to put their name in the mix, you know, not only for obviously trying to get our automatic bid at the tournament, but to, to get preferential seating based on sort of where they're sitting. And obviously Ken's rankings are not the official rankings for the tournament, but he certainly has a great pulse uh, on how things are going in college basketball. His algorithm really, I think, complements the NCAA net that we'll see here in the next few weeks as we get toward conference play. And that's kind of the main metric that's used for selection. But that Kempom ranking really is a, is a great measuring stick of taking into account your strength of schedule, your strength of record, your your performance against same, and some of the other really cool uh, efficiency numbers and things, both individually and as a team, if you, you want to dive into that. So it's kind of a haven for, for basketball junkies to, to dive into the numbers. But no, uh, again, Stephen F. Austin was another team in the preseason. It was Grand Canyon 1, Stephen F. Austin not maybe not as close in terms of the first place votes, but they were right there in second place. It was Grand Canyon one, Stephen F two, almost universally across the board within our uh, 11 head coaches. So not really a surprise to see those two kind of up front early on with another sort of wildcard team in CBU also at four and one. Our uh, ticket smarter player of the week goes to Shamar Wilson, UT Arlington, of course, with a new head coach and KT Turner, and I know they didn't uh, win a game last week, Tony, but they played New Mexico. Uh, they played what number four ranked Arizona, number five yeah. ranked Arizona. So, but uh, Shamar Wilson putting up big numbers against both of those schools. I want to say that, uh, and I'll shout him out, Jason McBain at UTA. I want to say had the stat. I believe Arizona sold out either every game, every non-conference game. There was a stat he had since 1982. So you're talking about one of the most yeah. hostile environments in college basketball. That's, I mean, again, a, a long-standing successful program in Arizona, but they packed that building out every single game, year in, year out, game in, game out. And to sort of jump in there, if you're UTA in the early going of a season, that's a heck of a step up and kind of punching up in competition coming off of, as you said, that disappointing loss at, at New Mexico where, UTA ran them down. They were down by 10, ran it down to a tie game at the end, lost at the buzzer by two. It's a really tough decision, but again, that, not every record is is equal. And you look at that two and two for UT Arlington with the two losses being a heartbreaker at New Mexico and a loss to the number three team in the country in front of a packed house, 17, 18,000 people. And with Shamar Wilson playing how he did 24, seven, two and a half blocks, 76% from the field. Over those two games, I mean, that's that's incredible to not only put up those kind of numbers in any two-game stretch, but to do it against quality opposition, quality opposition on the road, and quality opposition within your first four or five games of a season. So that's two weeks now we've seen players from UTA with Shamar and in the first week as well with a, a Player of the Week honoree. So KT Turner, you know, is kind of making an impact right out of the gate with the Mavs and doing it with some players who are familiar faces, not only to the conference, but in Shamar's case, he's been, been on that roster. He, he's been in the system here for a little bit. And, you know, things are really looking up in Arlington for the Mavericks. Carlton is off to a three and two start. And uh, we want to wish uh, uh, good, good wishes to uh, Billy Gillespie, their head coach who uh, has uh, stepped away for the moment uh, to deal with some uh, medical 
circumstances. Of course, I, I did a story on Coach Gillespie uh, a few years ago, when, and it's well documented that he had a, a kidney transplant, uh, you know, and and that was, it, it's an amazing story that the person who donated the kidney and and uh, that he was then, uh, his story then inspired his own sister to donate her kidney to a uh, former player's mother uh, as well. So I want to wish him, uh, wish him the best, but the Texans also off to a, a pretty good start, Tony, in, in three and two, and they had a lot of new faces, as did a lot of our, our WAC schools, but uh, it seems like that uh, in Stephenville, they, they got it uh, going again this year. Yeah, and I would say the guy who's probably stepped up the most in the early going is actually a guy who's one of the familiar faces in Ja'Cory Smith, who honestly, if it wasn't for Gordon and Wilson from UTA, for Grant Foster, Dominique Daniels from CBU, we would have seen Ja'Cory Smith, I think, in yeah. the weekly awards thus far because he's put up some huge numbers for the Texans, especially week one. He was another 20-point double-double player that unfortunately ran into two or three other guys who had kind of similar outputs in that opening week and, it, you know, unfortunately did not get that recognition, but we certainly want to shout him out now. He's right around 16 or so points a game in the early going through five games. You know, Tarleton had already gotten five games in at, at time of our recording. So, and and they're not shying away from the competition either, heading out to, to California to get some games in around, you know, this holiday time and, you know, to do so without your head coach, on the bench is is all the more impressive and in, in shows that there might have been some attrition in their roster, some changeover, but there's still a handful of veteran guys kind of leading the way. And some of these additions have really stepped up and have have fit in there nicely. And and the Texans are off to a good start. And uh, you know, as we said, the metrics will be, you know, you know, how far can you work your way up sort of that list? And and again, I'm sure looking at where they are at the moment, even at three and two, they're not satisfied and they're going to continue to battle and continue to try to work their way up. Tarleton will be at CSU Bakersfield, or they'll be playing CSU Bakersfield in San Juan Capistrano, California on Wednesday. Southern Utah facing Louisiana Tech on Tuesday, and then Texas State uh, staying in Ruston, Louisiana on Wednesday. UT Arlington will uh, play Alcorn State as uh, Seattle U plays Idaho. So a lot of games coming up here. And then, of course, Thanksgiving Day, uh, there's there's no games. Uh, but then teams pick up on Friday. Utah Tech will be playing Washington State. Utah Valley hosts Western Colorado. And UTRGV will be playing Hawaii in Thousand Palms, California. So we, we see these MTEs uh, this time of year. But uh, like we talked about at the beginning of the segment, Tony, it's it's interesting to see because going from those kind of tournament settings to all of a sudden next week being in conference play, that's going to be quite a, a dramatic switch. Yeah, and, and you, you mentioned that Washington State-Utah Tech game. Utah Tech, another team that scored really highly among our coaches in the preseason polling just based on who was back, uh, some impact you know, transfers here, in and out for you know, the Trailblazers. And that Washington State game is one of the, the top games thus far on, on the non-conference schedule. So that's going to be a really great test for them. Kind of, kind of as we said, leading into conference and handful of those other games you mentioned as well for, for teams. So it's, yeah, it, it's hard to believe that it's already at that point where we're looking toward games. It's it's certainly a whole lot earlier than we're, we're normally used to, but I, I'm interested to see how the teams will respond. Usually you're able to get 10, 12, 13 or so, depending on tournaments and things, games in before you're even really thinking about conference play. And this year, you're not really going to have the benefit of that. Some of our teams, you know, Abilene Christian 
as one example, just finished up a tournament and they're idle all the way until the 29th in their conference opener. So they've got a nice nine or 10 day break leading into that conference game. Whereas, you know, UTRGV, the way that things are shaking up with the, the tournament they're participating in this week in Thousand Palms, they're looking at about three games leading into right. to next week. So that they're going to have a, an awfully busy holiday week uh, on the court and, and finishing up non-conference tournaments and things like that. Whereas, you know, a few of the other teams schedule a little heavier the first you know week or week and a half. And, and now are kind of, kind of cooling their heels until the conference play starts. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how everybody responds. I think it'll be kind of odd for, for the teams, as we've said, to, to maybe be seeing one another so early in the schedule without maybe as many data points from the non-conference as they're used to having in their preparation. But uh, again, I think it was really masterful scheduling to, to do so, to have this, you know, as we said, kind of, I don't want to necessarily say a preview because they're all going to count the same in, right. in their standings and in our seating system at the end of the year. But it, it's nice to, to kind of maybe get that little nibble here in the next few weeks and then really ramp up once we hit the new year and, roll into 2024 with uh, a strong season of conference basketball. Well, hey, Tony, uh, thanks uh, for, for jumping on here uh, on the show this week. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, is that, that'll be uh, this week. And then uh, we're, we're back at it with the conference play next week. Yeah, I look forward to hopping back on and, and kind of picking up and seeing where we are. And as we've said, we're, we're really looking forward to a strong conference year. And before we know it, we'll be in Vegas with everyone in March. <laughs> That is uh, Tony Jones. When we come back, we're going to talk to Tim Nolan, the head volleyball coach of Grand Canyon, as they get ready for their first NCAA Division I tournament. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner with you, now joined by Tim Nolan, the head women's volleyball coach at Grand Canyon University. Coach, thanks for taking some time out. Of course. Thank you for having me. Coach, uh, first off, I guess congratulations. WAC tournament champions, first time in school history. Uh, I know um, it had to have been a, a little bit of a monkey on the back. I, I would, I would guess this was their fourth time in the finals. So when you finally had a chance to to raise the trophy, uh, what what was going through your mind? Well, you know, I was just so happy for this group of kids. You know, Claire Mitchell in particular, who you know, obviously in her graduate season, fifth year, um, was able to kind of get over that hump. You know, we thought we had some good chances in the past, maybe missed once or twice, but uh, just so proud of this group and, and the effort and the ability to finish. Well, you, you had a chance to play Stephen F. Austin in the championship match, and they won the regular season. They were 16-0. and 0. They had just beaten you the week before. But it, it seemed like all tournament long coach that the GCU seemed to be the best team in the tournament. How was your team so focused and so ready for, for this past week's tournament? You know, I get a lot of credit to uh, my leadership group, our four captains, Claire Mitchell, Ava Mason, Hope Hannah Carper, and Ashley Lifgren. Uh, just really, they were so bought in and driven that the rest of the team just followed. And, you know, they had kind of made a pact with each other before the season started that they weren't leaving without a ring. Uh, so, you know, just, but watching their preparation, you know, we'd go to servant pass or we'd go to practice and they were the first on the court. They were asking questions. They were, you know, telling other kids to focus during stretches and things like that. And just their incredible leadership, you know, it was really a team driven effort. My staff did a great job in prepping. 
uh, and giving them the information, but it, it took those leaders kind of driving the team to really be successful. We also saw some fantastic uh, efforts by your players in that championship match in four sets. Tatum Parrott uh, finishes with 30 kills, 19 digs. Uh, she hit 303, uh, 32 and a half points. And I mean, he just had, and she wasn't the only one, but in particular, Tatum Parrott having that kind of a match when it counted the most against the toughest team in the conference. What, what was your assessment of how she played on uh, Saturday night? Well, you know, she's been big for us all year, and particularly in the biggest matches, seems to be when she shines the brightest. Um, and, you know, Claire did a great job getting her the ball in the right situations. Uh, and then again, you know, she's just a really dominant point scorer, and she brought her best game on the biggest stage, which is always an incredible compliment. And you mentioned Claire Mitchell. She came back for another year. She's the most outstanding player in the tournament. She finishes, again, in four sets, 49 assists, 25 digs, which I believe was a career high for her. And uh, this was, I believe, her fifth year coach. I kind of lose track with the COVID years, all that kind of stuff. But I, I think you had a story that when last season ended, she, you know, she made no bones about it, that she was going to come back. And this is why she came back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, her numbers in that match were monstrous, as you said, 49 assists, 25 digs. I think she had three kills and, and uh, maybe an ace, too. I mean, she, again, just being able to play her best at the biggest moments. But, yeah, at the end of last year, we were kind of prepping for senior night, and I was, you know, getting ready to have the conversation like, hey, would you maybe be interested? And she's like, I'm not doing senior night. I'm coming back. We haven't won a ring yet. I'm not ready to go. I was like, great. That made that conversation super simple. Uh, you know, you just you can't have enough of those type of players in your program. Uh, just her commitment and dedication. And I think what makes her super special, though, is she seems to make everyone around her better. Um, you know, and that's just a really rare quality these days. And then also the, the other member that was made the all-tournament team, Ashley Lifgren, and she finishes with 13 kills, 13 digs. So double doubles around the horn there Tatum Thomas had, had 21 digs Bella Anderson had 21 digs so your defense in particular as well as the offense in that championship match really came together yeah you know super super proud of that effort we we had to change our scheme a little bit to accommodate them uh you know give Stephen F. Austin credit winning the regular season without dropping a match uh in conference play coming into the tournament, you know, with as big a momentum as anyone at that point, uh, we, we figured that we had to make some adjustments and take some gambles to try and change things up on them. Uh, and it's just really fortunate that our, our players, you know, were patient enough and savvy enough to make those adjustments in that week and then be able to execute them. Well, Coach, you're, you're heading to the NCAAs. Uh, the the it's kind of that weird time of year. We got Thanksgiving this week. A tournament ended uh, on Saturday, and and now you have to wait until uh, this Sunday to find out who, who you're playing. But I guess part of the good news, I saw the latest RPI rankings. You guys went from I believe 96 up to 76 this past week, uh, which I guess potentially could vote for a better draw for you this week. Have you dove into who who you might be playing or where you might be going? Oh, you know, it's always so hard. Um, we're incredibly honored to be in the tournament. 
you know, kind of looking at, at who we think is going to host in the Western half. Uh, you know, you Stanford and Oregon and Washington State are all going to host. you got to think BYU is going to host. And then I guess the big question mark is, does Arizona State host or not? And that's going to come down to their last couple matches here. But, you know, we're looking to go and, and, and play whoever they give us. We can't control it. It's out of our control. So for us, we're just uh, going to enjoy this Thanksgiving break, be thankful for the incredible run we've had, and uh, come back on Saturday and train hard and prep on Sunday and, and then sit down and kind of watch that selection show uh, and just soak it all in. So, so Coach, how do you handle uh, this week? Um, I, I know I'm talking to you, you're, you're driving on the road. Imagine some of your uh, student-athletes might have had an opportunity to to maybe get home for, for Thanksgiving. I'm not sure how that works during the season, but uh, – as far as trying to keep, uh, you know, everybody so that they they are going to be focused when the NCAA tournament rolls around? Yeah, you know, fortunately, uh, I've had some repetitions of this uh, with my previous institutions. I'm going to have a good schedule. We practiced this morning. We practiced yesterday morning. And then our kids are able to, to get out and, and get home. Uh, we have a couple you know, international kids who maybe can't go home. And so they'll go to some of our local kids' house and celebrate with their families. Uh, but it's, it's important to give your kids that family time. So that way when they come back uh, and we have that practice on Saturday, they're, they're rested, they're, they're, I like to call it their buckets full, and they're really ready to dial in and, and commit to focusing on volleyball for the next two or three weeks or however long we can stretch it out. Well, Coach, I know you're, you're – uh focused in on on who you're going to be playing next week and, and your own team. But at the same time, uh, with Stephen F. Austin, uh, they actually moved up a spot also in the RPI. There's an opportunity the WAC could get two teams into the NCAA volleyball tournament, I believe for the first time since 2008, uh, back when Hawaii was still in the league. What does, uh, if they were to get in, even if they aren't able to get in, what has WAC volleyball been like for you uh, as far as competition goes uh, from the time you came into the league to now? Well, I just think the league keeps getting better and better. You know, we have some really good coaches in the league. Uh, Stephen F. Austin this year, as I said, had a fantastic run. They hadn't lost a match in September. Um, you know, we played this year on our schedule, we played a Big Ten team, a Pac-12 team, an ACC team, and a Big 12 team. And I think they're as good or better than all of the teams we played. And two to three of those teams are going to be in the tournament. So, you know, I, I think they're deserving. I think it's great for the WAC. I think it's, it just showcases how good volleyball is getting across the country. Um, you know, I think their RPI is in the mid to upper 30s right now, which in my opinion should be a pretty easy decision to get them in the tournament. Uh, you know, it's a lot easier for me than that committee. I understand they have a tough job to do. But I think Stephen F. Austin has, has earned the right to be there. They played a tough schedule. They did very, very well. Um, you know, and even if they just miss, I just think WAC volleyball is really on the rise. You know, there's a lot of good programs and a lot of good coaches that are that are doing some special things around the country. Well, hey, Coach, I thank you for taking some time out. Uh, enjoy your, your Thanksgiving break, and, and we will be rooting for you guys in the NCAA tournament. Thank you very much. You have a great Thanksgiving as well. All right. That is Tim Nolan, head women's volleyball coach at Grand Canyon University. And thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. 
Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at waxsports.com.